0: Abba Father, thank you for the way that you're grace and mercy and how you allow family to gather around your table and your name to worship. Uh, Abba Father, I ask your blessings right now, please. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's talk about truth for a bit. Truth matters, biblical truth. Um, you know, we live in a culture where political correctness is a driving value. It's a driving political force. And yet when you look at the scriptures... It is very, very clear that there are teachings that are very black, very white, very pointed in the scriptures. Other words for truth are doctrine, theology, belief, creed, dogma. And some people take the word dogma and think it's bad. Like you're you're an unbending, inflexible person and you fail to see things from another perspective. And yet there are things in the scriptures that are explicitly clear. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. And there's no other way to God but through him. And that is a dogmatic teaching. That's unbending. Uh, Buddha didn't die on the cross. There's not another way that you get to God. When you look at New Testament teaching, it's very, very clear. They're called tenets. These are our core convictions, precepts, axioms, traditions. These are things that really matter. When we grow and mature in Christ, we know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Have you ever known anybody, any friends, where their their moral code is something like this? Let's just check out what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is believing, and you kind of embrace that. Where do we turn for biblical truth? Well, obviously, we turn to the Scriptures. And so what I want to do is remind you that we are you're going to hear the living, breathing word of God. This is truth. And it really, really matters because it guides how we live and it guides our decisions every day. So let's look at how important this is regarding the living, breathing word of God. Hebrews 13, nine warrants. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Don't be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Don't let anybody take you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men. 1 Timothy 6.3 six, says this, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, particularly with the doctrine conforming to godliness makes sense a key question by the way on your theology is this does it lead you to being godly does your theology lead you to being godly or does your theology lead you to being comfortable Titus 1.1 regarding belief we're talking about the knowledge of the truth that's according to godliness makes sense God's conformed us to the image of his son. That is godliness. Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is godliness. And if what we believe is not pushing us toward the character of Jesus Christ and it's not bearing the fruit of the spirit, it's really possible that you're being carried away by strange teachings. When I was in seminary a long time ago, my professor mentioned at that time there were 20,000 registered denominations in the United States. 20,000. I'm assuming it's more. I'm assuming that, okay? 20,000 registered denominations in the US. We can't all be right, okay? There can't be 20,000 denominations and everybody be right at the same time. So I ask again, do you have enough spiritual maturity that you can tell the difference between right and wrong? Does truth matter? Or have you been so influenced by political correctness, the best thing is to say, well, you know, we all have our private beliefs and if you keep them private, it's really, it worked for the best. Or do you believe the truth matters, and we build our lives on the Word of God where we make judgments about what is right and what is wrong, okay? So I really felt uh, compelled to push and emphasize that Christ church is going to be deeply committed to the truth of God's Word without apology. Absolutely so. All right, just a reminder from last Sunday. This is really important. Last Sunday, Hebrews chapter 2 we talked about that verb on the front end. You can see this here. This is just a quick review. This verb right here, well, I just doodled on it. Look at it, there we go. Payments, closer attention. That is a verb that actually points to getting, getting a hold of the rope, pulling it in, and tying it down. Uh, Terry, it's a, it's a nautical metaphor. He's saying get a grip on the rope and pull the boat back in. To, uh, to the dock and tie it down so it doesn't drift away in fact that verb stands in opposition to this verb if you don't tie stuff down it drifts away okay and you know what it's like to come to the end of the rope of your commitment when you get to the point where you know what your, your grip has gotten so loose your sense of faith has gotten so loose so lax that your beliefs just kind of slip away That's the warning. And then we looked also that God has testified both by signs and wonders and by various miracles, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. The Lord is committed to validating and vindicating truth and validating and vindicating his son, Jesus Christ. And he does it with signs and wonders, but he does it according to his will and not the will of man. Not our will, okay? So that's, that was last Sunday, and I so appreciate you guys being a part of that. Now, I want, I want to read the next paragraph based on the Greek text, and I want you to uh, soak it up. Now, let me remind you about what was going on when, when this author wrote the letter to the Hebrews. He's writing to Jewish Christians who are under heavy persecution. They've lost their houses. They've lost their property. Some of them were kicked out of Rome in 8049, 49. AD 54, they get to go back. Can you imagine walking with some friends and going back and look at the property that you once owned, now being occupied by a Roman pagan? The stuff you worked for, hard. You paid a mortgage on this place for a long time. And you lost your assets. Your bank account was seized. You lost it all, and you were kicked out of Rome. And now you're getting to come back. In fact, you're beginning to believe. You're starting to drift. And the pressure is, I think I want to quit church. If this is church, I've had enough. I've paid a price that's absurd. I'm, I'm, I feel the pull just to go back to Judaism. Let's go back to synagogue. Let's play it safe and, and kind of shut up and keep our little beliefs to ourselves. Following Jesus Christ is getting real hard. And so you've got people phasing out of church because they want church to be safe. They want church to be comfortable. They want it to feel good, taste good. First church, tapioca. Can we have something that's safe, please? Can we not have a church that serves up, feel good, and safety? And that's not what the early gospel was about. And so a persecution launched by Nero devastated the church. Pastors were being killed. Paul was killed. Peter was killed. The main leaders of of Christianity were were killed. And now the the author is saying, hey, we better get a grip on this thing because we're drifting. Now this is what he says in chapter two. And you are hearing the living word of God. Speaking of God, he says this. He did not submit or subject to angels the world come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? Have you ever felt forgotten? What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And you have appointed him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, that is Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not see yet all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, let's look at that. I wanted, I wanted you to hear it before you saw it. That is a complicated Greek text, all right? And by the way, we are a church where you are expected to speak up and learn and ask questions. Uh, One of my most, when I was lecturing at Williams, when a student interrupted class, I loved it because that meant now the whole class is for sure going to learn. If you have a question, please raise your hand. We are here to learn. We are here to seek God. We are here to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And I want you to have that kind of freedom. This is a little tactical, so bear with me. All right, let's walk through this again. For he did not subject angels to the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one is testified somewhere. And that's a peculiar saying. What does that mean? What is man that you, re, that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? Watch this. This guy is teaching. And he says, he's trying to remember some scripture. And Barbara, he goes this, but one has testified somewhere. One is testified somewhere. Have you ever forgotten what you're thinking about Some of the older, we, we appreciate these kinds of things. By the way, when I'm reading this, I go, what? How, how do you not know that? What is man that you remember him or the son of man? That's directly from Psalm 8. So can you, can you appreciate something? God is not embarrassed about your humanity. You're human and God's okay with that. And you even have a recording in scripture of a guy struggling from a memory lapse. And he, he, I know he's got Psalm 8 on the brain, but he goes, um, Someone said somewhere. <laughs> Pautis in Greek literally means someone somewhere. Pautis, someone somewhere, you know, said, What is man? Can I just comfort you just a bit or draw some encouragement? Your humanity does not intimidate God. And we Westerners have this idea because we have such a scientific bent that if it's not perfect, it's not good. The newest is the truest and perfect is the best. The newest iPhone has to be better than the, than the old edition. The newest is the truest, perfect is best. And so you get this idea that God can't use me unless I'm perfect. And yet in scripture, we get this moment when he's going, For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. Uh, Someone said somewhere, uh, What is man that you remember him? It's okay. It's okay. God is a good God. And he's not intimidated by your humanity, nor does your humanity disqualify you from being used by God. Your humanity does not disqualify you from being used by God, okay? Look at this. We're going to do some heavy theology. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the Spirit's going to do this morning. I pray for a major breakthrough because some of you are in bondage to some false teachings to the point that there, there's a stronghold between your ears, okay? And you struggle with the sovereignty of God to the point, you don't talk about it because you're like, we're not supposed to say this. But you think God is a big moral failure. And you think that because of the existence of evil. Watch closely what happens. Pay close attention to this. Verse A. this guy is making a truth statement you, God, have put all things in subjection under the feet of Jesus. The, the word subjection in Greek, he, here it is here. I'm sorry, let's go back. The word, the word is supostasso, and uh, and I keep clicking. Um, here we go, all right. This word subjection is supostaso. It's the word in Greek that means uh, uh, church. You guys submit to each other, supostaso. Creation submits to God. If you have the gift of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14.32, you have to submit to prophets. You can't just do a tell-all to anything you want. 1 Corinthians 14.32, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. Hipostasso, submitted. Wives, hypostasso to your husbands. That's the verb that he's using. He's saying God has put all things, hypostasso, under the authority of Jesus and in subjecting all things to him, watch this, he left nothing that is not subject. He's saying, look, it's all under the authority of Jesus Christ. Everywhere. There's not a place on planet earth that is not under the authority of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, but we do not yet see all things subjected to him wow please appreciate this you look around and you tell me whether it's in your home whether it's in your job where you work or where where it's in the city of little rock or the state of arkansas do you think everybody in your world is obeying god 100% we've got a problem he just said, everything is now placed under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is in full authority, everything's been subjected or must submit to him, every knee will bow." And yet, the preacher, the author, whether it's Apollos or Luke says, but when we look around in Rome, when we look around at the loss of our property, When we look around at the Christians who are being murdered by Nero and used as candles for his banquets, and we look around, we go, no, we don't see that everything is submitted to Jesus Christ. We have some serious theological tension. How can it all be in submission, and yet there's so much disobedience? This is a real problem. Did you know, This is where most people bail on Christianity, right here. That if God is so good, and if God is so full of love, and if he has this kind of authority and this kind of power, then why is he going to let child abuse happen in Little Rock, Arkansas tonight? Why? If he's so good, why does he allow evil? This is serious tension. And this is where a lot of people bail. They can't handle it. That if God is that good, that kind, that loving, then why does he allow the existence of evil? Let's look at it with fresh eyes. What if he means to say that there is a kingdom, the kingdom isn't here yet. Not in fullness. we were told to pray. When you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Guess what? It's not done on earth. Not totally. And so this author knows that. And he says, yes. Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is seated at the right hand of God, crowned with glory and honor. Yes, he is in the seat of authority, but he's in a kingdom that is not yet come. And one day it will come. And we will look around and there will be no injustice. There will be no spousal abuse. There'll be no child abuse. There'll be no pathetic, backstabbing, money laundering, government, political people manipulating and orchestrating things to move money where they want the money to go. None of that will happen. We will have the Garden of Eden restored and it will be beautiful and there'll be no more tears, no more crying. And we won't need a sun by day because the glory of God will be enough to illuminate the kingdom. Then look what he says. Watch watch the Greek. Watch this. Look at this. We do not see, but we do see. We do not see, but we do see. Check it out. What are you looking at? What are you focusing on? We don't see God. Perfectly, 100% sovereign, forcing obedience on everybody. We don't see that, but we do see Jesus who was made a little lower, uh, for a little while, a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of the death, crowned now with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Richard, this guy, Flipped a switch, he worked as a tech for SeaTac. He gets a plane, takes off in minutes, and crashes it on an island committing suicide in Puget Sound. His nickname's Bebo. And everybody says, man, this is a great kid, he was so fun, he's a great athlete, life of the party, And, and wow, what a guy. And we're like really in shock. At what was going on with Bebo and why he did that. On the radio, guess what he said. Guess how he described himself, anybody know? I'm, I'm just a broken guy, that's all I am. I've got some screws loose. Yeah, I'm just a broken guy, just a broken guy. Now we have no idea what happened. We don't know if there was some criminal act that was so bad that he thought the only way out was suicide. We don't know the backstory. we don't. What we do know is that he was looking at the problem from a particular lens and he thought suicide made sense. When it absolutely doesn't make sense. That is not how you fix problems. In fact, it creates problems and you end up dumping the most horrible things on other people, people that you would defend and people that you think you care about. What was he looking at? Let's look at this. Now I'm putting up some concepts directly from the first century world because I want to I want you to appreciate what the scripture is saying. In Hebrews 2, 8c it says, but we don't see a perfect world but then in 2.9, he says, you know what? But we do see Jesus, okay? So appreciate this. And these are concepts directly from the text of Scripture, based on the Greek text, directly describing what was going on in the church. There are people drifting. You know, can we sleep in? Let's just sleep. We're tired. We're tired. You know, come on. And that little short, fat man, he's boring and really can't tell a good joke. So let's just stay Okay. Quitting church. There was fear. There was loss of property, jealousy. People were falling away. Do you know that it's in Hebrews chapter 10 that the, 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 the author has to say, look, stop forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. They're going slack on, their, on the bride of Christ. Why? Because they said it's not worth it. It's too hard. I've already been arrested three times. Why? I'm tired of church. Can't we go back to synagogue? let's go to First Church Tapioca, it's it's much safer. Forsaking friends, you're throwing away your confidence, there's neglect, there's this emperor, Nero, one of the most wicked men around. People have weak faith, they're exhausted. There was a fire started by Nero, and Nero blames the Christians. This is what's going on. And so what's our reaction? We accuse God, we blame the church for moral and societal failure. God is doing a lousy job running this place. Church is something you avoid. We don't see God working to to iron out this mess, clean up this mess. But then he says, but look, we do see Jesus. He tasted death for all of us. So that with eyes on him, we justify that as he was persecuted, we can face persecution. As he was tempted, we can face temptation. As he tasted death, we can face death through him. As he owned nothing, we can face the loss of our property through him. What the author is doing is saying, guys, if you look at your surrounding and you look at your world, there's a lot wrong with it. Let's quit trying to candy coat this thing about our faith. If you look at the world, it's a mess. But when you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, get what you see. You see the man who knew how to respond to the mess. He did it right. How did he handle injustice? How did he handle the atrocities and the abuse that society dished out? How did he treat the poor? How did he treat the diseased? How did he treat marginalized people? Jesus Christ literally provides for us the example. This is how you live when life is not fair. Would you please... Open your hearts and mind. Jesus showed us how to live when life is not fair. Do you get that? He showed us how to live when life is not fair. And when you can't get your way, it doesn't mean God is bad. It doesn't mean God is guilty of moral culpability and failure because you didn't get your way. If you keep your eyes on all that is wrong in your life, let's all jump on a plane and find a good place to crash. If it gets that bad. But when you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, you see the man that knew how to handle things when it wasn't And there was lying and cheating and deception and all manner of pride and ego and greed, and he knew how to handle it. And he could take a child and say, you see this little nipper, the kingdom of God belongs to somebody like this. Look at his heart, it's pure. It's like he's a native citizen of the kingdom of God. And then he can say to a rich kid who thought he had it all together and said, you wanna follow me? You sell everything you have, and then you're, you're in. And the guy turns his back and says, no, Mm-mm. And Jesus didn't go, oh, please, I'm sorry. We're hard up for members. Okay, I'll take, no, 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 don't sell don't anything. Okay, just come on, please join the club, please. Jesus didn't chase him down and beg him. He let him walk away. You know why? Because that kid's heart was so hard and so full of pride that he didn't want to lose what he had to gain what a few find in heaven. And why did God let Jesus suffer? Why? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That is why. Tasting death for everyone. Now what if what if you heard about this legendary missionary? His nickname was Paulos, which means the short guy. <laughs> Literally Paulos, the little guy. His Hebrew name was Shaul. Called him Saul. And he said, You know what? I need a name that's gonna help me fit in among the Greeks, and I'm a short guy, so Paul. Just call me Paul. This legendary man that would preach the gospel and and set up churches all over the Mediterranean world and some of the most dangerous places. The man that could take a beating and not blame God like life is somehow not fair. That guy. Okay. And then what about this legendary Christian named Peter? He walked on water. Wow. In fact, that guy, although he could sit, you know, insert foot and in mouth sometimes, he was the only guy willing to get out of the boat. This amazing guy. And when he finally understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, he gladly went to Rome. And he, out of dignity, decided he's not worthy to be crucified in the same position as Jesus. And the scriptures tell us, or, or Eusebius tells us, that he was crucified upside down as a way of showing honor to Jesus. And you know those two guys were executed. You knew it. They tasted death. And you know local pastors in Rome have been arrested and imprisoned, lost everything, some executed. And you get what death looks like in the early church. And this preacher, he says, you guys, you have to remember Life is not fair. We look around and there's a lot wrong in Rome right now. A lot wrong in Rome. By the way, I don't know where you stand on Donald Trump. There are some people that think this is the most effective president who have, he's accomplished more for our economy in 18 months than the last three combined. Okay, stimulated this economy without dropping trillions of dollars in debt or bringing us into debt. Then you've got others saying, "Oh my, no, no, he, you know, he's immoral. This is this is he's like." Roman emperor, he's bad. And it's wicked that Donald Trump's in office and, and let's do everything we can to expose him, what's wrong with him and kick him out so he can bring in our guy. I'm telling you there's a lot wrong with America. Abortion, there's a lot wrong with America. There's a lot wrong, there was a lot wrong with Rome in the first century. <clears throat> okay, And there are things that are going on that are not fair. Not fair at all. Jesus showed us how to act when things aren't fair, when things aren't right, even in the face of the most gross moral corruption possible. He modeled what it means to be in complete submission to the will of God. And as such, John makes it clear, he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he tasted death, For everyone. That is language that we should appreciate. In other words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish or would not taste death, but they would have eternal life because Jesus Christ did the dying for us. It's the gospel. So, guess what? We have hope. And if you're expecting the kingdom of God to be in its fullness in right here right now on earth I'm sorry it's not going to happen. That's why we have the book of Revelation to remind us what's coming in the end, Barbara. Yes. In a sense, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. So yes. in yes. that sense, yes. God's kingdom Yes. And every day we choose whether or not we are going to let God's kingdom rule our lives and make choices based on that. Yes. And the biggest choice comes down to how are we loving God and how are we loving others. Yes. We can't choose who we are going to love and who we're not going to love. Yes. And the main reason why the world often. Pokes their finger at the church is when we choose not to love others and it shows. Yes. <clears throat> Barbara, thank you. Let's develop that. What she said is extremely important. When Jesus said, if you're looking at me, behold, the kingdom of God is here. Correct? Did he say that? Okay. It's walking on two legs, right? When you become a Christian, where does Jesus reside? In you. Therefore, in Jesus, the kingdom of God is present within us. That is true. Question, is the kingdom present in non-believers? No, not at all. And there's the problem. Did you know right now, if everyone in this room right now is a true believer, like the real thing, okay? do you realize that this may be one of the most pure expressions of the kingdom of God on earth right now if everyone in here has experienced the new birth and has the filling of the spirit we right now have the potential to be the purest expression of the kingdom of God on earth right now but when you leave this place where do you go you go to the world and there is the tension when we look around we are still in the world but not of the world you're right and you're really getting at what, the Hebrew, what it said uh, in the previous paragraph. We better get a grip and we better pull, pull, our, pull ourselves back in because some of us are drifting and we better tie it down because there's so much societal pressure that there are Christians who would rather drift and play it safe than those that would rather pay the price of faithfulness. So Barbara's right. We do have choices, don't we? And we can choose to be the light of the world and we can choose to be the salt of the earth or we can choose to do the opposite. Chris. Yes? So say one is born again, Mm but still struggle Yeah. Thank you. Um Branson, you just asked a question on behalf of the whole class. <laughs> okay. You ready for the answer? Let me personalize this. This is from Romans 6. For when we are slaves of sin. We are detached from righteousness. Therefore, what benefit are you, Branson? What benefit are we, Christ Church, deriving from the things of which we are now ashamed? What benefit are you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? for the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in purity and the outcome of eternal life. The question, Branson, is this for all of us. Uh, Do you think sin is more enjoyable, more satisfying, and has a better outcome than obeying the will of God? And if you think so, then there are much, much deeper issues going on. Because for, the, for a Christian, and we'll get to it when we get to uh, Hebrews 12, the command is clear, lay aside those sins, those habitual th- sins that entangle us, that trip us up, and run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the fact is, Branson, our personal sin habits are never acceptable. And we have to make hard decisions about who we're gonna serve. Otherwise we drift. Let me put it to you this way in a way that might, you might appreciate. Uh, if you go to your favorite restaurant and uh, you go to see your tequila and you order the burrito and the enchilada or something and you take your fork and you go to get a bite and there's part of a roach inside your burrito. What would you do? I mean, it's a leg. It's not a big deal. It's just a leg. Is that okay? It's not the whole roach. Come on, it's just a little part. Of a ro- right? Do you realize that if we had we're seeing an aversion response right there biology at it's best right there do you realize that if we had that attitude towards sin that you do toward food with a bug leg in it our day would be very different make sense it's okay if you eat a moral roach leg no big deal right what benefit are you deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Chris, can I add something to that? Yes, sir. If I'm honest, I I could listen to sermons all day and build up my head knowledge, but without going and seeking God in the secret place, uh, it just remains head knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And so it takes that long time with God uh, that's so easy to put off and yeah. not yeah. do because it takes time and effort. Yeah. Um, but that is where I see my freedom from ambitious, yeah. and it changes my heart. Yes, yes. You just quoted a, a pretty big chunk of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek and seek God in private, and He will bless you openly. Thank you. Thank you very much. By the way, the pronouns are in Greek. Are they plural or singular? Plural. Plural. We do this together, then We need each other as the body of Christ. Christ. You know, yeah, David. I was going to say, you were talking about earlier about people, do they have the kingdom of God in them? You know that the Bible also portrayed what a person should be in the Old Testament by, by using the tabernacle. The tabernacle was yes, yes. three parts. Yes. Same as a, as a person. Yes. A person is physical, soul, but without the Holy of Holies in the middle. The spirit being entered, you're not a complete tabernacle. Yeah, that's so good, David. Yes, that is good. Hey, you know what? If you can find somebody better than Jesus, someone who has a more pure love, a more intelligent social ethic, I love that one, someone with more humility, more courage, willing to die to fix what is broken inside of you and take away the barrier between you and God, follow them. If you can find a better Savior than Jesus, go for it. Enjoy. I can't. I follow Jesus Christ. So, okay. Let's do this. Um, ask, ask Holy Spirit right now. What are you looking at? When you're going to start your day tomorrow morning, what are you going to focus on? You're going to focus on stuff that, that, that leads to the profoundly illogical conclusion that stealing a plane is a good way to handle the stuff. Or, or uh, you know, um, running. Or somehow divorce is an answer. Or... Uh, what, what some say in, in psychology or psychiatry the geographic cure you know what the geographic cure is? if you've got a problem just run from it like if things don't go well in Little Rock move out to Seattle and find yourself or, or Boulder, Colorado you know just avoid, just run go from city to city to city to city thinking it's going to be the next fix it's called the geographic cure and guess what, does it work? no, no. You can't run from your problems, can you? You can't. They go with you. You can't. What are you focusing on? That life is not fair and somehow secretly God is responsible? Secretly? Life's not fair. He lets good things happen to really bad people. And he lets bad things happen to really good people. Life is not fair. Or will you fix your eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God? Who modeled what it looks like how to handle life when it's not fair. I want to pray for you, Abba Father. Thank you for each person that's here. Lord, I pray that hearts have received the truth of your word. You're removing the barriers of shame, removing the bondage, the chains of lies, of false teachings, of, of believing that sin is far more satisfying than anything you have to offer. You are rebuking that spirit. You are cleansing our hearts and our minds from the lies of the world, replacing it with the truth of your word as lived out by your son. Thank you for these things. Thank you that Jesus has tasted death for all of us. Thank you. For by grace we are saved. It is not based on works. It's not of ourselves. It's something that you accomplish. By grace through faith. Thank you, Father. We worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.